the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. The Christian Church recently celebrated Pentecost, which observes the descent of the Holy Spirit upon people of all nations, ethnicities, and races. As Deacon Joseph Connor noted in our conversation on Challenge 2.0 last week, no faith is truly colorblind, offering equal welcome or opportunities for leadership to all. We continue that conversation this week. So we'd like to welcome our guest this evening, uh, First Deacon Joseph Connor of Immaculate Conception Church in Seattle. Uh, Deacon Joseph, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's a pleasure. And we have Janae Petrusha and her dad, uh, Ron Petrusha, who are both joining us. And thank you both for being a part of this program as well. My pleasure as well. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to hear your perspectives and experiences on this. Well, we ended last week's show discussing the exclusion uh, by design or effectively of people of color from leadership roles or roles of influence in various faith communities. Uh, Deacon Connor, could we continue that discussion on what you've experienced and where we need to head? Yes, the sin of racism is killing, is destroying communities. I mean, look at the, at, at, at if you, Look at the, across the United States, the schools and churches around the country that were in poor and black communities to evangelize and help and grow and educate, where are they closing them? In those same communities. How we, we are called to serve the poor. But economics, if you, in any city, the wealthy church, and right here in North Dyson of, of of Seattle, I have seen constantly, the wealthy churches get the best, the best and the most energetic priests. We have gotten the leftovers, we've gotten the ill, we've gotten those on one foot in the retirement, one foot out. And so that there, there is no, there is no action steps, there's no commitment. <laughs> we, write, we write these pastoral letters with nothing behind them, with no consequences. Okay, with no measurable outcomes and goals to change. We have, we have right now in the process, like we have a racial justice deanery team. Mm -hmm. And that, that came about with George Floyd. And I went to the deanery. I'm, I'm a member of the South Seattle deanery, which make, makes up 16 parishes. And I said, okay, we need to do something. When I talked to Bishop Aitchin, he said, are you gonna do something in Immaculate? I said, yes, yes, you can count on it. And we had a visual and I said, it's important for Catholics to come together and become united in addressing this sin beyond lip service. Mm -hmm. And we had that, we had that, that visual outside Immaculate and it was wonderful. And we had the majority of the parishes and priests participating. I said, the world needs to see the Catholic church functioning as an institution addressing the sin of racism. 
And then I, I went to the deanery and, and I said, we need to have, we need to have a team. We need to have some investments and resources around us at the deanery. Maybe we can become a model. Because you see, you know, you know how change comes. Change comes if you have the power, it connects to the power, or you organize. And, and we have to have, we have to get our people in the pews committed and understanding the sin of racism and 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 white how white privilege play, plays into within the pews within the Catholic Church structural and institutional racism until it is addressed the feelings the the concerns the thought have no impact when you have policies and procedures that prevent men of color getting into the diaconate getting into priesthood moving up becoming bishops when you have policies that uh, don't that prevent our children seeing people of color, men and women in leadership role. I mean, if you go back to civil rights, that was one of the issues is having role models. How can a child aspire to something if they don't see somebody look like them? How can they believe that that it's it's a possible dream? It's a possible reality. I mean, the Pope. The Pope, this Pope we have now, is, I mean, I love him because <laughs> he speaks, he lives, he's living the gospel. He's not just talking, but you know, his chain of command is so broad. I, I be, have, haven't been an administrator and I had staff all over the, the, the state of Washington. It's difficult to get folks to do what they need to be doing. But until you have something, accountability and measurements, with consequences and changes in policies and procedures that's written and hold people accountable, uh, we'll be talking about the same thing in 2023 or 2026. I might turn this question just a slightly different angle uh, for Ron and Janae, and that is, from your perspectives, what does any church, and it's obvious this is in many different denominations, but what does any church lose uh, what do they sacrifice when they fail to address these issues and uh, make uh, Black men and women comfortable as well as a part of their leadership? Uh, Janae, I might start with you and then uh, Ron, if you follow up on that. That's a hard question. Um, but I think you you lose a little bit of the Holy Spirit. I'm not in a, you know, it's not, it's not going to leave, but I think you lose the meaning of the body of Christ. We take the body of Christ to be at one, right? We, we, when we take communion, you should feel the Holy Spirit when you walk up there and you bow at the altar. When you're not including everyone in that moment, you're losing the faith. You're losing the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no feeling there. And I feel, I feel like I've had to distance myself from my church in Kirkland. I drive 30 miles all the way to Seattle because as soon as I walked in, I saw Deacon Connor and I said, whoa, that's a black man up there. And I started crying because I felt so powerful. I felt so powerful when I walked in there and I saw a black man up there. And then the woman walked up there and she was black. And I said, whoa, 
I'm home. There was people around. I was getting hugs from other black people. Granted, this is a diverse church with white people, blacks, Filipinos, just different people. But that was the first time that I felt accepted. And then I find one of the churches that is down and out. And the, our, my church in Kirkland is one of the most wealthiest churches that I've been to. And this church that's diverse and has a black man on the on the altar is seeking closure soon because they can't they don't have the funds. There's a huge disconnect there. Mm-hmm. There's a huge disconnect. Ron, what would you add to that? Uh, on the one hand, I I mean I agree with Janae about the the diminution of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit. But also, as followers of Christ, we're called to imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and the irony is that the world, the secular world, expects Christians to imitate Christ in a way that Christians don't expect to imitate Christ, which is to say, secular society takes the imitation of Christ very seriously. And so when you know you look at the sinfulness of the church, and, and so and the sinfulness of the church is you know abundant. You know, we have racism, we have in the Catholic Church the sex abuse scandals, we have assorted sexual scandals and evangelical churches, we have the commitment to abortion, except that the right to life seems to end at the moment of birth. And so everything else, the, the affairs, the lives of the born don't seem to matter. Uh, we have in the church as a whole an enormous opposition to climate change, to the belief that climate change is man-made. We have you know, the prosperity gospel and a belief that if you're wealthy, God has blessed you, which mm-hmm. is a form of worship of mammon. We have you know, all sorts of idolatries within the church. And so when the secular world looks at us, they see racists, bigots, and you know, people uh, not living in reality, denying reality, and thinking that Belief in God confers some sort of special privilege. So all of that is sin. All of that drives people away. Our mission is to bring people to a knowledge of Christ. And instead, the church spends a great deal of time bringing people to a knowledge of Satan. Could you each offer maybe one or two things? If you could talk to people who have not been welcoming, and there may be some that uh, simply don't know what to do, what are a couple of things that you would recommend people do, could do, to make outside uh, outsiders that are coming into the church, either as new members, prospective new members, uh, or people of color, if it's a predominantly white uh, congregation or parish, what are things that you'd recommend they do? Uh, oof. Acknowledge me. Acknowledge me when I bring something to your attention that's hurting me um show that you care don't question 
what other people are going to think if someone is bringing something that's hurting them to your attention mm-hmm. seek change and acknowledge i just want to be acknowledged um <laughs> i think we all want to be acknowledged as people of color black brown anything we just want to be acknowledged um it starts with the foundation of each parish to get that going so I personally accept everybody. If I see someone who's new Indian parishioners that I've seen who are just treated unfairly, I've gone over and talked to them. It's just acknowledging. That's all it is. Just want to be acknowledged. And I think that's where change starts. But I don't feedback that happens. Mm -hmm. Ron, what's your suggestion? Um. Acknowledging people, definitely having curiosity about who they are and you know what their story is. But at the same time in doing that, to be very careful and to be very thoughtful. I mean, so in our church, I mean, the, the, a great deal of the, the, the problem with racism emerged with people confusing Janae and her older sister with one of my students and a a new Nigerian woman in the parish. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it doesn't, being curious doesn't help if you misidentify somebody. Mm -hmm. Being curious doesn't help if you walk up to a Black person and begin to talk about minstrel shows that you saw, which somebody did. So, it requires not only curiosity, but what would seem to be a certain, you know, obvious sense, uh, obvious, uh, what is the word? Uh, you know, an obvious sense of, of propriety. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's lacking. And when that's lacking, I'm not sure, you know, what to do about what the solution to that is, because, you know, we live in the 21st century, and it would seem like a lot of that kind of basic propriety should be well known, but among white people, it's not. What could they do in that moment? If they make a uh, make an error, uh, say something perhaps not intentionally tactless, but what would be the best thing for them to do at that moment to at least write that partially? Apologize, mm-hmm. repent, admit it repentance always works you know, a, a basic problem with i'm gonna ask with racism janae you wanted to add something there what would you like to say um if i tell you that that's not my name do not think that that's my name that happened a lot it's yeah it's happened a lot but do not force it because I'm a human being, I'm telling you that you've got me mixed up with my sister and you're telling me no for your sister. So it's mm. it's showing passion, but thinking before you speak. And then if someone is speaking, let them talk and acknowledge. That's it. Well, thank you. Uh, Deacon Joseph, what would you like to add to that in terms of uh, what could individuals do? 
we've talked about systemic change that uh, is necessary, but what could individuals do to uh, improve this situation? Well, I, I agree with, with Janae. The first thing is to acknowledge, acknowledge that the person in front of you is a child of God, made in the image of God. That's the first thing that we all need to do. And until we do that, the world will dominate our behaviors. Mm -hmm. I think that, how do I say it? When you walk into the doors of God's house, the first person you meet as a member of that church, whether you're a stranger or not, should make you feel welcome, just like you invite a guest into your house. Mm -hmm. That includes the pastors. My brother clergy needs to be in that pulpit talking about the sin of racism, helping their, their parishioners to take steps to acknowledge and address it. So even just at a simple point, to make a statement that everybody in this house, in God's house, should feel welcome. What do we need to do to make that happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, at Immaculate Conception, it's like, to me, it's like being at home in church. In, in the segregated church, even though our church is multicultural. But one of the greatest blessings that we have is when you walk that you will feel welcome. Somebody's gonna approach you and, and greet you and invite you. And as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for COVID, Janae would have had several meals downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not talking about no cheese and crackers. <laughs> but but you know it, it just a, it's a, I mean it sounds like a simple solution to acknowledge to see God, to see Jesus in everyone you encounter and knowing that he is, he made us in his image. Just that acknowledgement would maybe start you to think and realize, you know, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And the greatest, the greatest, the, not the, the greatest gift was love. See, if we had that natural, agape love for one another, we wouldn't have all these problems. We wouldn't have people killing people. You wouldn't have people attacking people on the streets. Love is essential. But we're talking about real love that comes from the heart that, that brings about the dignity and human rights of every individual. Our young people are leaving the Catholic Church because they can see the hypocrisy mm -hmm. that's happening in the church. The millenniums, they, they see how people are treated and the church is saying one thing and doing something else. Well, I think what's important for listeners, you know, I, I get asked the question all the time, how can you be Catholic as a black man? You know, and 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 then become a deacon. But it, it was it was my foundation in, in relationship with Jesus through my through my childhood that I experienced through my parents, my aunts and uncles and brothers and cousins and nephews. Mm -hmm. And in that safe environment of that segregated black church where I felt the spirit of God, where mm -hmm. I experienced that spirit, where I experienced that welcomeness, that, that joy of Jesus, of knowing and experiencing him in my life, having saved my life a few times, mm -hmm. having protected me a few times and has given me great joy with, with blessed with three sons and blessed with a beautiful wife of 54 years. I mean, the, that, that joy of Jesus, every day I experience when I, when I serve people and I see the joy that you receive by just my being present. Mm -hmm. 
And each of us, we should experience that joy when we are present to some each other, just physically being present with a smile and acknowledging who we are, that we are a child of God. Mm-hmm. How is it, uh, you know, when I, I have a number of friends from the Middle East and they are people of color, and yet so many of the depictions that you see in artwork and uh, sculptures, et cetera, uh, show uh, blonde or very light brown haired, blue eyed uh, disciples and Jesus himself. Uh, how does that impact you? That's that Eurocentric Catholic Church. And it's still that Eurocentric Catholic Church. Okay? You get criticized. As Sister Thea Bowman said, I come authentically Black and authentically Catholic with my dance, with my song, with my joy, with my spirituality. But the church, that's not the church. Right. One of the, the really you know, sort of interesting things in early in the history of the early church, evangelization was based on a really careful analysis of the cultures that were being evangelized. Mm-hmm. Art, Christian, Catholic, Christian art was expressed in terms of those cultures and in terms of values they would understand. And, and the, the attempt was made very consciously to separate those elements of a culture that were godly and carry them forward mm-hmm. and discard those that were not godly. And then, you know, in the uh, in the Middle Ages, that view of evangelization really got lost, and so the 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 imagery of art began to take on a a uh, an exclusively white uh, Northern European form, and uh, and that hardened, you know, into the universal church. Similarly, that notion of evaluating the culture, so recognizing that that God, as the creator of all things, penetrated the world and penetrated human culture, that all peoples, that all cultures have some revelation of who God was, that got replaced with, with uh, on, on behalf of you know, the, the Europeans, again, with this notion that they have the exclusive knowledge of God and the exclusive knowledge of how to evangelize, then that be, that simply becomes racist, oppressive, and genocidal. I mean, the, you know, we, we have the enormous genocides uh, done by Christians. And during the Crusades, the genocide against Native Americans, which you know, killed untold millions of people, and then you know, slavery and and uh, and and genocide against against Africans and African Americans. Um, so just well, enormous damage done by that transformation and the hardening of you know the image of Christ as as a white person. Janae, what's what's your uh, what should I say? Uh, what is your reaction when you see images, statuary, uh, things of that sort, representations? Um, one of the biggest statements I don't like people saying, uh, I don't see color, but <laughs> 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 it comes right <on>. to, <laughs> when it comes to 
I don't see color. The, I see one, I see one being, um, I don't really idolize the white man statue. I don't really idolize, I don't, I don't idolize anything in that aspect because I see, I see someone who loves me, someone who cares about me, someone who nourishes my spirit, nourishes my soul. So I don't piggyback off of, as a white man, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't believe that. Um, and I think at Immaculate Conception, people need to go there because there's black Jesus up there. Like you may not agree with it, but there's also white Jesus up there, but it's mm -hmm. different. It's just different. But I feel like if people were to see that, they would not be happy with it because in their eyes, it's, that's not right. Oh, I got to go. I got to get out of here. This mm. is safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, I'm very grateful to each of you for, you know, sharing on this, because I think this is something people need to hear and uh, uh, need to think about and take into their hearts. Well, I would wish that uh, we wouldn't need to do a follow-up on this program, that a year or two down the road, we'd see substantial change, but I suspect uh, we're going to continue to need to work on this for a very long time. Uh, I thank you each so very much for offering your experiences, your perspectives, your wisdom, and hope that you'd consider coming back on again, and maybe we can do a progress check in a year or so and see where we're at then. Uh, so thank you very much, and thank you for all the very good work that you are doing in your individual faith communities and in the world at large, too. Thank you for having us, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you all for watching this edition of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week as well. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.